Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. I'm gonna do the unthinkable and go a little bit out of order this this episode because there's a bunch of sound related application or, or libraries I should say uh, a52 decoder or a52 deck also lib also dash OSS also plugins that's it so I mean that's that's a hefty amount of, of audio related stuff so I may as well just start out talking about audio and then we'll pick up the stragglers that I missed by skipping over stuff to begin with we need to kind of think about what a sound what sound is and in the real world sound is a sound it, it is a wave rather it is vibration in the air that's why when you go out into space when a star Starship shoots a torpedo at another one, photon torpedo, you don't hear a sound. Of course you wouldn't. And and a movie that would say otherwise is just being silly. So in an atmosphere that, that can move, that can that can, that, that can host uh, vibrations, you have sound. And when the sound hits your eardrum, your eardrum responds and all of that stuff gets translated ideally into signals for your brain. Okay, so that's a sound in the real world. On a computer, there's no atmosphere. Uh, A computer is essentially, if we sort of think about it, it is a storage medium. You can put, you you could, you know, in theory, you should be able to to record stuff onto a computer. How, How... how can that work though? Because that there's, you have to translate the real world sound wave into something that a computer can store. So there needs to be a process of translation. And the method that we are using, I mean, you know, because I mean, if you think about like a phonograph, like there, there's a, that, that doesn't really have a translation. Like a phonograph records the, the vibrations essentially. A computer does not. A computer is, is, is not scribbling sound waves down on your hard drive. A computer does something different. So the way that we do the recording of sound on a computer is that we put a microphone between you and the computer, and then, that's not enough, the microphone itself needs to have some kind of translation uh, process so that the sound waves that it picks up can then be transcribed, can be formatted in some, in some other, in, in some other syntax. And that other syntax is digital audio or PCM. I don't know what PCM stands for. What does PCM stand for? Pulse modulation. PCM, pulse code modulation. There you go. So pulse code modulation, and I'll just kind of go down this. I'll I'll finish what I started here. I don't don't know that I really meant to start a discussion of PCM, but pulse, pulse code modulation, according to good old Wikipedia, is a method used to digitally represent sampled analog signals. That didn't really tell me a whole lot. That's what I just said. So yeah, I mean, that's what PCM is. It, it, it understands this, this is code that can take a transmitted sound wave 
it, it takes little samples of that sound wave, lots of samples, and, and then it represents it in code, in binary, in a binary form. And that's where you get concepts of, for instance, a sample rate. Well, how many samples of that sound wave are we storing? Are we coming back to it uh, 8,000 times a second or more like 44,000? 48,000 times. Like, what, what do we, how many times are we sampling? So once you have your sound wave translated from the real world of, of vibrating air in, in little numbers in, in, a, in a computer somewhere, then now you have encoded sound. You have a PCM file. Now, most applications don't want to play just raw PCM. That's not, that's not a good time. It's, it's a big file. It's clunky. It's not optimized at all. So, you usually want to encode that PCM file to something more convenient, and you've probably heard of several of these. For instance, you might have heard of AUG of Orbis, or MP3, or M4A, that's an MPEG-4, or just the audio layer. Uh, there's, what else is there? Um, lots. FLAC, uh, what's the the other one? ALAC, uh, and WAVE, and so on. All of these different formats that you could put sound into so that many other applications could would would know what to do with that sound file. What does an application do with that sound file? Well, it decodes it. You have encoded it, so applications need to then decode it and translate it back into sound waves for you. Okay, so that gets us to one of the first, actually the first on the list. I know I said I was going to go out of, out of order, um, and I am, I promise. But but for now, I guess I'm starting where I said I would start. A52 decoder. So A52 decoder is a, or I should say, A52 deck like decoder, is a test program for libA52. It decodes ATSCA52 streams and also includes a, multi a demultiplexer for MPEG-1 and MPEG-2 program streams. This package also includes libA52, which is a free library for decoding ATSCA52 streams. The A52 standard is used in a variety of applications, including digital television and DVD. It is also known as AC3. Now, you may have heard of AC3. You may not have heard of A52. AC3, you've probably heard of, if you've ever ripped a DVD with Handbrake, for instance. Or, or what else would you hear? Maybe if you've encoded a DVD, like if you've ever written to a DVD, like back when people were using DVD-Rs, uh, you might have seen AC3 mentioned. It, it's it's an important codec for this reason. It, it It's simply a codec that has been um, standardized, I guess, by MPEG or maybe ATSC. I don't know what ATSC is. That's actually a new one for me, so I don't know what that is. But whoever standardized this, this thing... Um, they they declared that that was going to be the supported audio format for uh, DVDs and and so everyone kind of got stuck with AC3 audio uh, on on DVDs. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm just saying we, we all got that. Um, I've never kept an AC3 stream as AC3. Whenever I'm ripping a DVD, I rip it to some other you know sound format like AUG or Web. Uh, web, what is it? Web, Opus. Opus is what it is. I I should know that one. I published to that format. Um, Aug or Opus or M4A, which like AAC wrapped in an M4A container and so on. So so I don't I don't usually tend to keep things in AC3 unless it's just silly. But AC3 is quite a 
it, it's not a terribly small sound file, so it, it's usually more convenient to compress it down to something smaller, like Opus or something like that. So, that is A52 decoder, and if we take a look at, if I do a most invar log packages slash A52 decoder, then uh, sure enough you see that there is indeed an application called A52 decoder, which again, this is the a test program to ensure that lib A52 uh, is functioning as expected. Lib A52 itself is included in user lib64, libA52.so, and then there are header files in user include. If I do a52dec-help, then you get things like, uh, you know, audio output mode. You can send it to OSS, to a wave, to AIF, to AIF Dolby, to um, Peak or Peak Dolby, and a couple of others, not a whole lot of others. You can use this to analyze or to, to, to discover the different kinds of the, the different streams available within the AC3 file. And this this is an important thing about AC3, the A52 decoder, uh, is that you can have different you, you, well, the important thing about the way sound is stored within a w within a file on a computer, it, you have to kind of realize that they're not it's not just straight. It's not just, it's not like a record where it just has a bunch of, of audio on it. Uh, by record, I mean like a vinyl record. You know, it's not just the audio, it's a bunch of other data. So for instance, the AC3, there are bits in there. there there's at a certain point in that file, an application trying to play that is going to look at a very specific value called sample underscore rate underscore code. It's a three-bit field that identifies the sample rate. So 000 is a 48 kilohertz sample rate. 001 is a 44,100 kilohertz sample rate, and so on. And there are other fields. There are fields for what language that stream uh, contains. There are streams for how many um, channels that stream uh, contains, I think. I could be making that one up. But, uh, but that is a use case for AC3. For instance, if you have a you know, surround sound setup in your home, then you don't want to have to, like, can you imagine if you had to have five sep separate audio files and you, whenever you wanted to play surround sound, you had to, like, press play on all five files at the same time? Like, that would be, that's ridiculous. You would never be able to do that. You'd never get them in sync with one another. You just, you, you, that would not be possible. So a, a single audio file, uh, AC3, can, can contain several channels. So again, there, there, there's data in the AC3 file. There are byte value assignments that are reserved for, for information like um, 010 is a two-channel stereo file. Now your application that's playing that file understands, okay, I've got a left and a right channel here, that's how I'll, that's where I'll send this audio. Uh, 011 is two-channel Dolby, surround encoded. So that's a little bit different, right? Like you got a left and right, um, and, and it's Dolby, so it'll, it'll talk to Dolby equipment differently. Uh, 100 is a multi-channel audio. That is, more than two channels are contained in this stream, and so on. So, 
there's a lot of data in these in these files. It's not just like a you know it's not just a a, a, a what is it a, like a eight bit representation of a sound wave. You know, it's not like just blocks of sound poorly drawn sound waves. It's not that. It's a lot more than that. So that's AC3. That's what a 52 decoder does. I will link a um, a, a a URL to the definition of the AC3 specification. It's a fascinating read if you're into that sort of thing. And that's that. Okay, so that's that's the file. That's that's getting sound in and more or less. Well, no, let's. I think that's that's getting sound in and storing the data. A little bit of how to play it back, but mostly it's getting the data in and then how to store it. That's that's that side of the equation, and that's enabled through a library. In this case, libA52, but there are others. You know, libOpus, lib libVorbis, and so on, or whatever it's called. Is it libVorbis? Yeah, I think so. libVorbis. Um, so great. Uh, now let's talk about like how that sound got in and how the sound gets back out. So I've already said, well, there's a microphone involved. How does your computer know that the microphone exists? Well, now we have to talk about ALSA. We could also talk about pulse, but we don't have to. And because it's not in this list, we won't. I mean, it's probably in this list somewhere. It's, there's, I'm sure there's a library somewhere in here called Pulse, LibPulse. But um, we're not there yet. We're at ALSA. So I'm just going to talk about ALSA. ALSA is the advanced Linux sound, I don't know, architecture? Maybe forget. I should I should know, uh, but I, I don't. I don't remember. So also is the the component on Linux that is responsible for identifying and driving, as it were, um, your the, the sound equipment in that computer. So backing up a little bit for those who may not think about this all the time, the Linux kernel is the thing that's responsible for detecting all of the all of the physical devices that you have hooked up to your computer like the reason your computer knows it has a screen or a keyboard or a mouse that's because of the kernel and if you're running linux then it's because of the specifically linux kernel now within the linux kernel code there are also libraries it's just built in and also's job is to scan your computer as it were as you boot up and discover what kind of hardware you have that identify themselves as sound hardware. And the way that also thinks of this sound hardware is it, it gives it the name a, a sound card. Now, that can be confusing if you don't build your own computers. You might think, well, I don't have a sound card. I've looked in my computer and I didn't see a big card in there with sound stuff on it. And that that's that may be true. A lot of sound cards these days on modern computers, they're just built right into your motherboard. So you don't it doesn't look like if you look at a computer and you're looking for something that slots into a PCI slot or something and you don't see it, that doesn't mean you don't have a sound card. It just means that you don't that, that the sound card is integrated and that's very very common now. I mean, it's really common in a laptop because that's I mean, it has to be. So, you may not think you have a sound card, you might not remember ever installing a sound card, you might look into your computer and not see a quote-unquote card, but trust me, if you can get sound out of your computer, you have a sound card. And also sees any audio device, it, 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 it gives it the name sound card, that's, or the term sound card. That's what, it, that's what it calls an audio device. Now, or I'm, I'm sorry, an audio audio hardware. It is called a sound card. And I'm, I'm trying to be specific with terms because also is specific with terms. So you've got a sound card. Maybe you have more than one sound card, but let's just look at one sound card. You have a sound card. 
on that sound card, there may or may that there may be uh, one or more devices. That sounds confusing, right? Um, well, think about it. Now, if you have a standard laptop off the shelf, you probably can both record audio and play back audio. So you have pro- probably a microphone for your webcam, speaker for everything else. So you think, wait a minute, is that two sound cards? No, that's one sound card. I'm I'm betting that's usually one sound card, but on that one card there's hardware and and little chips and things for both of those functions, input and output. So also sees those as a, a device. Therefore, so you you'll have a sound card and then you'll have a microphone device and a speaker device. You could have like a microphone device, a speaker device, and um I don't know um another speaker device. Like that's not unheard of. You could have more than one, more than two devices on a sound card. You can absolutely have that, and sometimes even. You could have a sub-device, believe it or not. So that that's not super common, but I mean, it can happen. So for instance, let's say you've got a fancy sound card that is designed specifically for, again, I guess surround sound. Then you might have um, a sound card with a, an output device that happens to uh, to to have to to manage several different channels and send lots of different information out. So you could have a, a sub device there. I don't think I've seen a sub device on any of my hardware personally ever because um, I just don't have really terribly fancy hardware in my life, um, and that's fine. I'm happy with with that. Uh, let's see. So I'm trying to type as I'm not talking. There we go. Um, so here's a play. This is part of also a play. That's also play a play dash dash list dash devices. Do you need to be pseudo for that? No, you can just do that as a normal user on Slackware anyway. A play dash dash list dash devices. It lists playback hardware devices. Card zero is my graphics card because it has an HDMI cable. Uh, and so it, it, or yeah, and HDMI carries audio as well. Okay, so th- this is this is fun. Card zero, card zero, card zero, card zero. So, oh, there are sub devices here. Okay, um, there there's a card zero. Device three is HDMI zero. Device seven is HDMI one, uh, and there is a sub device. It says, but the sub device is just labeled. It's it's one of one sub device. So I I don't really think that's a valid sub device, but maybe it is. I don't know. Um, so there's yeah HDMI zero one two three four five six. So there are six, seven, because we're starting at zero, seven um, devices on my graphics card for sound. Okay, great. I have used zero of those. I've never played anything through this computer's graphics card. And then there's a card labeled card one, and that is the HD Audio Generic. ALC897 analog. There, there's no easy way to identify that, unfortunately, but that's the, that's my computer's built-in audio. And I, I do wish there was some friendly, you know, nomenclature for that, like built-in audio. That'd be nice. But for whatever reason, most computers, like, don't, they don't 
They don't get that inscribed into their firmware. You know, they don't have that friendly message for the user. This is just HD audio generic. I don't know where that's getting pulled from. It's ALC897. That must be... I don't know what that is. Someone knows what that is. Um, Subdevices 0 of 1. Okay. Uh, And then there's card 2. This is the CH321. That is a um, Cooler Master headset that I use for like, uh, you know, like it's got a microphone on it. And then there's card four, which is the H4, which is what I'm speaking through right now. It's a USB audio device. It's a H4 handheld recorder by by zoom not not zoom the software zoom the audio uh the i think it's the subsidiary of roland now or something so anyway um there's a lot of cards there well actually there aren't there are like five zero one two three there's no three sorry okay so there are four so there's one two and four i don't know what happened to three zero one two and four and those are the things that also has identified as audio devices. Now, if I go to Alsa Mixer, oh, apparently can't do that. Is that a mixer now? Uh, no. Do I not have Alsa Mixer installed? Or is that one of those things that needs pseudo permissions? Yeah, it does. Okay. So, um, Alsa Mixer, if I open that up, it takes me to um, a special virtual card called Pulse Audio. That's not actually what I want to see. So I'm going to select the sound card with F6. And there's a listing of all of those sound cards. So there's my graphics card. Here's my built-in audio. Here's my headset. Ah, there's default 3 is um, HD Pro Webcam C920. So that's my Logitech webcam, which does have a built-in microphone. Uh, I don't know why a playlist devices wasn't showing that, or maybe I just skimmed over it with my eyes. Um, And then H4. Okay, so I'm just going to go to HD Audio Generic. And HD Audio Generic has a bunch of different devices on it. Uh, Or rather, it has a bunch of different, I guess... What, what would these be? Channels, I guess, technically? Um, I think these are technically... These must be technically sub-devices or something. I'm not really sure at this point. So I've got the master uh, volume control. I've got a headphone volume control just for the headphones. I've got a PCM uh channel. I've got front, front mic, front mic, what is that, zero? B? I don't know. Uh, Surround, center, LFE, side, line, line boost, audio mute, loop back, rear mic, rear mic, something, and I think that's it. So there's a lot of apparent channels there, and this is what's confusing about sound. Um, I don't know if there is this level of, I guess, specificity on other operating systems. I mean, like, on a Mac, you don't have that. I know that. Because on a, well, I should say this. On a Mac off the shelf, you don't have that. Because on a Mac, I mean, they're designing their own hardware. So they can write the driver. They they do write the drivers very specifically for exactly what they put into computers. So when they show you your sound devices on a Mac, they know exactly what to show you. That they, they put it there. They can they can call it whatever they want to. They can tell you anything they want to about it. They can they can tell you the truth. They can tell you what they want you to believe about your sound card. Whatever. It doesn't matter. They have full control over that, which is fair. I mean that's a honestly that's fair. Like that is a that can be seen as a service to the to the customer, right? Like 
if you don't care about sound, all you want to do is make sure that you have sound when you expect there to be sound, and when it, you don't have you don't have sound when you have muted it, then that's probably all you need and all you want. And frankly, seeing less information about what's really in your computer that can be seen as a, a gift to some people. Now, um, I don't know what happens on Windows because I don't I've never really I've, I don't I've never actually I don't know that I've ever done anything with sound on Windows. Like I don't even know how I mean, I'm assuming it's at the bottom right, probably a volume control. But I don't know what what does that provide? Does it give you like a single output uh, or a, a playback stream? I don't know. No clue. So and I'm sure you can, you know, install some kind of cool audio controller to give you more granularity but but on linux you just have that granularity kind of whether you want it or not and and this can be confusing and what i do usually often when i get a new computer which doesn't happen all that often actually but when i get a new computer i i usually launch also mixer and i take a look at all the different options that are presented to me and i figure out what they are because some of them don't ever matter to me, like um, the front mic input and the rear mic input for that matter. I'm assuming those are like little round ports, audio ports on my computer where you're meant to plug in a 3.5 millimeter or uh, eighth inch um, uh, audio jack, uh, a plug. Um, you know, and like for an old, for like a tra- a traditional, it's not even traditional to me because I mean traditional to me would be XLR, but that's like whatever, like a consumer grade microphone from like the 80s. Like that's what you would pl- probably plug into one of those ports to get a front microphone. And that's, I'm never going to do that. I'm going to either use my headset or I'm going to use this uh, recording device, the Zoom H4. So it doesn't, I'll never use that and so I can keep them muted and I can functionally ignore them. And I do kind of wish there was a an option in, an easy option in ALSA interfaces to just mark something as completely, just ignore it. Never show this to me. Pretend like it doesn't exist. Yes, I, I would probably want there to be a way to recover from an accidental um, I- ignore command you know like that i can see how that could be problematic but i would love it if i could have like an also mixer where i don't ever have to look at the pcm channel the front mic front mic the surround the center the lfe whatever the heck that is all of those that don't matter if they don't matter i don't want to see them ever so i i think that linux if if there's anything about linux sound i think that would be that would be the gift that people could open oh, there's there's card three um yeah so that would be a gift to to the community i think is is a a a more flexible and by flexible i mean i i realize that you can put all kinds of things in a sound rc and manipulate your system and so on i've i've had to do that back before pulse it's 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 not fun, but you can do it. So you can kind of lie to yourself in some ways, but it would just be really nice if you could just click on your audio mixer, your KDE audio mixer, and just kind of like select a thing and just select never show this to me again or something like that. Now, to make things more interesting, there, you know, you can sort of you, you, there's there's a lot to think about for each of these sound devices because remember there are sub devices here, there are different ways that that applications can interact with a sound card and, and a device on a sound card. So if you do go to your KDE volume control, click on it. I've got mine listed horizontally. 
Um, and I'm going to just click on the little hamburger menu over here on the right of my line out. Uh, I can select play all audio via this device, or I can go down to profiles, and the profiles are listed as analog stereo output, analog stereo duplex, analog stereo 2.1 output, analog stereo, I mean surround, 2.1 output plus analog stereo output. And, and it goes on from there from 4 to 4.1 to 5 to 5.1 to 7.1 with variations for analog stereo output and surround output combined and alone. And that's just a lot to look at. And, and again, like I'm never going to use the surround sound stuff. I mean, I, I say never. I guess I might at some point get a job mixing a surround sound something or another. I doubt it. I guess, again, I would want to be able to back out of a choice where I say never ever show me that. But generally speaking, I feel pretty sure that I'm not going to ever use those. I would love to be able to get rid of them. I think that would be honestly just a huge, huge, just a, a real feature, honestly. Um, now, I'm always a proponent of giving more information than people necessarily need, because you don't know what you need until you understand what you're looking at. So I don't mind, I mean, that's why I prefer KDE to GNOME, right? Because it gives you all the options and then you can kind of filter them out for yourself. That's just the way I like it. That doesn't mean it's for everyone and I, I, I understand that and respect that. For me, I prefer to get all that information. And as I say, one of the steps that I take when I get a new computer is to launch a play dash dash or to run a play dash 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 list dash devices and really get a feel for like what's by default present on the system, what control actually does what on in, in also mixer or a mixer, whatever they're calling it these days, and just kind of get associated and like acquainted with my sound system. Understand what I can ignore and then go about ignoring it. Okay, it's time for coffee and I'm not done talking about audio yet. So let's go get some coffee. We'll come back and then we'll finish up talking about audio and finish up the other packages that I've had to skip over to get to Ulsa. <laughs> coffee. I've got my, the last bit, the very last bit of my, uh, sunshine or whatever it's called, sunshine coffee. It's supposed to taste like, uh, um, I don't know, a local kiwi dessert that I've, a pavlova is what it's called. Um, I, it, it doesn't, but it, it tastes nice and bright and fruity. I've mentioned it before. It's winter now. It really feels weird to be drinking this because it's just, I, now I associate this with summer, but I've gotten a new bag of coffee uh, from, called Bomber from Flight Coffee, so I'm very excited. Got another coffee trading card with it. Very exciting. That's, that's three now, because I think I lost one. Um, so yes, I've got coffee for next time, but yeah, not, not till next time will I be breaking open the Bomber coffee. Okay, talking about audio still, and, and I hope it's kind of vaguely interesting to hear about audio. I, f I find it fascinating. So, I mean, and it's something that I, that I do a lot of, so it's just something that, yeah, I do legitimately find it very fascinating. Um, I mean, there's a world where I'm working in audio instead of whatever else I'm doing. Like, really. Like, that, I, I, and I got close. Like, I, I, you know, I, I was, I was around audio, but I could just never quite 
break in on any level because I didn't really know where to go in the audio world or even what's available. Uh, so anyway, audio on Linux. It's, it's as fascinating as audio in real life, uh, in, in other things. Um, Linux is real life. Um, so yeah, so also you got sound cards, you got devices, you got sub devices. We've talked about all of this. How does it, how, how we, we've got it on our system and, and we can choose between which device we want to use and so on. But how do you really, really know what a sound card is and, and how to target a specific um, device and so on? Well, the way that you do that is that you look in a play dash dash list dash devices and you look at the card number and you look at the device number and you tell you tell your computer what you want to use i mean if you're doing this just with alsa again a lot of this can be avoided by just using pulse audio and and it does a lot of friendly things to help you figure all of this stuff out without really thinking about the underlying system i'll mention that in in passing later like i said i don't want to focus on pulse cuz i'm this is about alsa so also to to select the the card and the device that you want something to happen on you use the syntax hw colon zero uh, um, number commas number and the, the first number is the card number and the second number is the device so hw colon card number comma device number and the device and the card of course are listed in a play dash dash list devices so if i want to play something over my normal everyday computer speakers it's card like built in card one is is what it says right there card one generic hd audio generic device zero alc897 analog okay i happen to know that that's my built-in speaker how do i know that like i say kind of hard to know for sure but what i can but what i do know is that it's not a graphics card it is not a usb headset it's not a usb um h4 zoom device therefore the only one left in my list is that one and it like i say card one and then it says device zero so card one generic hd audio generic device zero therefore hw colon one comma zero would target my inbuilt computer device uh, computer sound card simple as that sort of and you could do an also play and play music over your internal speaker, at least in theory. Now, because ALSA is a little bit complex, and because ALSA is a little bit inflexible, and that's the important thing right there, is a little bit inflexible. For those reasons, someone came up with this idea that's, that there should be a sound server. I shouldn't say someone, I should say some people, several people, several different groups of people came up with the idea that there should be a sound server for Linux. And over the course of Linux's life, certainly since I started using it in 2006, 7, 8 time frame, I remember there were things like the Enlighten, the, the Enlightenment uh, sound demon, E sound D. And that was a kind of a big deal because it, it, it would manage your sound for you. It would talk to Alsa on your behalf and show you, like I was saying before, kind of a, a, a sort of what you wanted to see. I mean, again, it doesn't magically know what you want to see, but I mean, you know, it, it kind of filtered down some of that noise. And more importantly, it could combine streams. That's important. Hold on to that thought. And if you don't know what that thought means, just 
hang on to the concept or the the, the words. So you can combine st- uh, streams. That's a big deal. Jack came along, and Jack is, is not officially. It's not advertised as a general purpose sound server, although some distributions for a while chose to use it as their general purpose sound server. I don't remember the name of the distribution that I'm thinking of, but there was one that was kind of vocal about it. It was like, um, man, I remember hearing a podcast about it, and the guy was, yeah, I don't remember the name of the thing, but it was it was a thing, and, and it, they were using Jack as, like, their sound server. I knew people who were using Jack as their, just, that was just how they played sound, and they, they were happy with it. And again, you could route sound, you could combine streams, all these kinds of things. And then, of course, there's Pulse, which a lot of people are on now. I mean, that's what Slackware ships with by default, although there's a new up-and-comer called Pipewire, but this isn't about Pulse, it's not about Pipewire. So, in, in other words, there are sound servers out there that essentially create a little bit of a, um, a little bit of a waiting room, or a lobby, or a party space, where a bunch of different applications can say, hey, I want to play some sound now. Instead of just going straight to, just racing straight for the sound card to see who gets there first, they go to the waiting room, or the lobby, or the party room, or whatever we're calling it, the green room. And in the green room, those streams, those those applications with audio streams to send over a speaker, are, uh, they're, they're able to be, you know, essentially combined, and then sent to the sound card all in one packet. Well, what would happen if you didn't have that? Well, what I've just described would would happen. They would all race to that sound card trying to get there first. If you've never experienced this, it's a real pleasure. Um, back in like, I don't know, like 14.0, 14.1, I think, of Slackware? Maybe, maybe I'm being silly. Maybe it was more like 13.37, but a while ago, within, you know, recent-ish memory, um, I used to have to script. I had, I had a, a script script on my computer that would essentially stop access of of like my pro audio stuff to my sound card and then introduce access to Firefox and then the reverse it was it was pretty clunky and not great and the use case there is that i would i would have some audio like a digital audio workstation open be working on some sound for something like some music or a, a soundtrack or something and i would think oh i need the i need a sound of a of a cymbal crash but but this this synthesized cymbal crash sounds well synthesized i want just somebody recording a sound of a cymbal so i would go to freesound.org and look up cymbal crashes where people had just held up a microphone to a cymbal and crashed the cymbal into the microphone and i would i would find you know 20 of those and then you'd want to audition them before you downloaded the whole 300 megabyte wave file or 100 megabyte flac file you'd kind of want to audition it and make sure it sounds good so you'd press play in firefox and nothing would happen you wouldn't hear the sound it's because jack had already sort of grabbed hold of the sound card so as far as also understood that sound card was no longer available to receive an audio stream. Now, I, like I say, I had a script where I could sort of temporarily decouple Jack from from my sound card, and then I would get Firefox in there, and it was it was it was not it was not a beautiful solution. It was clunky. It didn't feel great. But ever since Pulse Audio got introduced into Slackware, I don't have to do that. It, everything just goes to a central sort of uh, switching station and gets 
packaged up. I, I think I'm mixing a lot of different metaphors here, but it, it goes to a place, it gets packaged up into a one, one stream and sent off to the sound card, and everything just plays. A weird example. Here's a silly example. I go to a lot of video conferences, as many of us do, you know, for work and stuff like that. You go to a video conference. And so sitting in meetings uh, for hours at a time sometimes gets a little bit tedious. Sometimes I like to have some music playing in the background. And so I, I'll launch Elisa, the music player that I use, and I'll play some, you know, just some soft ambient music in the background, just to have some noise other than than, than people's voices. I, I don't mute the people, understand? I'm just having a background of music during a meeting. And I'm able to do that on Slackware because of Pulse. It's not essential, but it is a nice to have. And I can guarantee you that at one point in Linux's sound life, that was not possible. You could not have done that. You wouldn't be able to play the sound from your music player while on a video conference. That just wouldn't have been something that, that your sound system would have been able to handle. You might have been able to, to send it, like send your video conference audio to your USB headset and play your background music like over your speakers. But then every time you spoke in the meeting, I guess that would be weird because people would hear the music playing in the background. So it just, yeah, it's it's really, really nice. It's like a convenience thing. And it's, it's so, you know, it's just not going to change like the world, but it does really make the world more comfortable in certain situations. So I like that quite a lot. But also is still doing the heavy lifting of identifying all of those sound device, all those sound, all that sound hardware, designating it as a card, identifying the different devices available on the card, and so on. What also can identify, of course, is up to the driver that allows it to talk to that sound card. And there are a lot of drivers included in ALSA. It does a really great job of recognizing a lot of sound hardware. Sometimes it doesn't, it can't, it might not be able to identify all of the different features of some kind of specialized hardware, but it, it might be able to identify like the basics. ALSA is largely driven by plugins. So ALSA isn't a sort of a monolithic thing. It is, uh, I mean, you know, it's it's always weird when talking about this sort of, you know, is it monolithic? Well, no, but also yes, because I mean, these plugins don't, aren't useful without ALSA and ALSA isn't very useful without the plugin. So, I mean, so no, but, but yes. Um, and, and there are lots of different plugins. There's uh, plugins for utilizing shared memory. There's plugins for uh, playing um, at a specific uh, sample rate. There's a plugin for um, playing specific files or talking to Jack or talking to Pulse and so on. So there's a bunch of different uh, LADSPA as well. Um, so yeah, there's a bunch of different um, you know effects and capabilities that also is able to take care of on your behalf because of these plugins, including interestingly MIDI. So MIDI signals, which you may not really think of all that often these days because MIDI files aren't really that much of a thing, but they still are to some people and then certainly to a certain industry that it's still very, very relevant because synthesizers are still controlled through MIDI signals. It's just a very functional backwards compatible for ages uh, way to trigger events on a synth. So MIDI is really important and MIDI also has a MIDI sequencer built into it that you can utilize to um, to keep the time synchronized between different sound 
generation devices, software or hardware. I think that's everything I have to say about Alsa. There are lots of applications that I've kind of referred to, like Alsa A Play and A Mixer and A Rec and, and so on, but I don't think any of those are included in this. This is just the library stuff. I think the, the most that this includes is like A Server, and I think that's everything. Could be wrong. But this is just also lives in also o dash OSS. Okay, so next, or not next, but the one of the ones that I skipped getting from A52 to ALSA was AALib, and AALib is an, an ASCII art uh, library and a couple of commands. Where, where did it go? AALib dash, there it is, 1.4. Um, AALib is an ASCII art graphics library. Internally, the AALib API is similar to other graphics libraries, but it renders the output into ASCII art instead of, you know, other stuff. So, you can get a really quick sample of this by just typing in uh, in your Slackware uh, system, AA Fire. That's A-A-F-I-R-E. Uh, it launches a little ASCII art fire animation. Don't do it if you're epileptic, it's very flashy. Th these are not meant to be anything but test applications. Uh, I couldn't get it to render an ASCII art, to be honest. I used AA Test, tried a couple of things. I mean, I got like a test quote-unquote image, but I couldn't actually just point it at a PNG, for instance, and have it convert. There are other ASCII art library or uh, applications out there. This really is, this is a library first and foremost. This is the, these are the files that you would use to, um, to write an application that's going to, or, or that, yeah, that's going to, that's going to render ASCII art. Um, if you want to write a command that, that does the conversion, then you might use AALib. If you want just a command that does it, though, there are a bunch out there. There's ASCIIvil and, I don't know, I forget all of the other ones. There's a bunch of them out there. Okay, uh, Account Services is next, and Account Services is a dbus serv ser service for accessing a list of user accounts and information attached to those accounts. That translates, in short, to the GNOME desktop's ability to to, to change user accounts. So when you go up to the top right corner in GNOME and you go to like log out or wherever they've hidden that now, maybe you have to press the alt key, I don't know. Wherever it is, you go there and you can like switch user. So if, if you're on your laptop and someone wants to, uh, you know, your partner comes over and hey, can I use the laptop for a minute? You, you can switch accounts to their account or to a generic user account, whatever, you know, like to a guest account. And, and then you're still logged in, all your applications are still running, everything's there, but you've just given a separate account to the person who needs to use your laptop. I realize that that doesn't tend to happen in real life for a lot of us. A lot of us, if someone's asking to use our computer, it's someone that we trust and care about, and we're just going to hand them the computer and just be like, yeah, sure, there's Firefox, go for it. But, you know, I mean, that's not necessarily the best way to do even that. Someone may not intend to mess something up on your computer, but if you just hand them your user account, it, you know, all lot logged in and everything, I mean, they could do something inadvertently and mess something up. So if you care about your data and you don't want it to mess up, then create another user account and switch it over. Now, is it a smart idea to have like a dedicated guest user account? Yeah, probably. Do I have one on my laptop? Nope, I don't. So, you know, I'm not really practicing what I preach, but then again, I don't really ever hand my laptop to anyone, so I guess it doesn't come up that often. Anyway, that's what account services does. It, it, it lets the GUI 
of specifically the GNOME desktop, I think, um, understand who is logged in and what kind of attributes they have and so on. I don't know that KDE uses this. I mean, it is a free desktop um, package. It's not like, it, it does. I, I know that it was proposed for GNOME 3, so it sounds like it's just a GNOME desktop thing. I could be wrong. It could, maybe it's being used by SDDM or something like that. I'm not sure. So that's um, account services. It's a dbus thing. It gives sort of Unix account awareness to your GUI or to some GUIs. Next up is Adwaita or Adwata icon theme. This is the de default icon set used by GTK applications. That's what it is. Like if you've got, um, I don't know, I guess Firefox or um, something like that installed, then you're probably using these icons by default. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Does does Firefox have its own set of icons? Yeah, it probably does. So anyway, I don't know. So th there are things on your system right now that are using Adwaita Adwata, um, like GFTP, for instance, that's a GTK application. I just happened to see that as I'm frantically looking for a GTK application on a system, on my system. Uh, GFTPT is a, a GTK application. There are others, though, you know. GIMP, that's one, but that probably has its own icon set. I'm not sure. But anyway, if you ever install a, a GTK application, they'll use that icon theme probably, quite possibly. So, now you have those icons. You could switch over to those icons system-wide, but I find that when you do something like that, so there's always some, like, there's always one thing. One thing that KDE has that GNOME doesn't, or or one thing that, that you're just used to seeing one way on KDE, but for whatever reason, GNOME thinks it should be something else. You know, like, I don't know what it would be, like notifications. It's a bell in KDE, but maybe it's like a, I don't know, a light bulb in GNOME or something. You know, and it just throws you off just, just that much. So I, I kind of, I don't really do that. But I mean, you could, you know, if for some reason you wanted to theme your, your KDE as if though it was GNOME or something like that, which which I've done for fun before. Like, you can, you can totally do that. Like, KDE is flexible. That's why I love it. It's got all the options. You can change them. You can change your icon theme and Adwata is right there. You can use it if you want to. But if you don't want to, then know that something probably is. some Something on your system that you'll either install it, it's already installed, or you'll install it soon, That that's a GTK application, and it, it'll pull from Adwata um, icons. Okay, I think that's everything for this episode. That was a lot of sound talk, and I, I hope it was, was not too boring. Like I say, it's it's a topic that I find endlessly fascinating. And I think it's kind of funny in a way that also still is still the system that kind of underpins everything. I mean, I guess it must be good, at least good enough. And and I don't know that that's, I, I, is there something better? I don't know. Um, like I say, there are, there have been several different things on top of ALSA that, that, that we've had since, since certainly ALSA. But um, but, but also is still there. And that, that, that's fascinating to me. Uh, and I don't know, I mean, maybe quite possibly there is nothing better. That might be the best, that might be the, the sensible way to continue going forward, which is fine. I, I don't have a problem with ALSA. It, it works fine for me. The, I think the problem, quote unquote, with ALSA and with Linux sound in general is just kind of, first of all, identifying what, what your computer actually has and how also is reporting about those things. And then finally, the, the real problem, I think more often than anything, is just remembering to check all the different places on your system that a sound input can be 
set. And I'm, we, we all do it wrong. We all do it at some point. Usually it's when you're, you're most pressured, but at some point you, you're, you launch a, a thing and you think, I, I can't hear you or they can't hear you. And, and you don't know why, because you've got your microphone set correctly. You've got your speaker set correctly. You just don't, you don't understand it. And then you realize, oh my gosh, there's a, a I have it set in my system settings, and I've confirmed it in my little audio mixer, and I, I my browser knows to look for it here, but I forgot this particular video conferencing application has its own input setting, and I have to go to it and tell it to use this thing, because for whatever reason, it's not. That's I think that's where it really starts to get really confusing, and we, we all do it. It happens to everybody. It happens to me about twice a week, uh, no, twice a month rather, um, where I'll just, I'll be in a meeting and I'll think that I'm speaking over my headset and then someone will point out that I sound like I'm far away and I realize, nope, this video conferencing application is set to use the Zoom mic, which is off in a corner right now because I'm not recording a podcast and, and I need to switch just, like the computer is set to use my headset, everything else is set, but for whatever reason, that video conferencing application is not set to use the the correct input it it's it's annoying but i mean to be honest it's not a linux thing that's just a computer sound thing and i don't know the right answer you know i really don't because we all want the flexibility we want to be able to have all of the different inputs all the different outputs we want to be able to juggle them around it's just one of those things i I, i'll bet there's a market out there if someone wants to do this for a a physical patch panel it does it's not a real patch panel but it's physical and when you move a cable from one patch to another patch then 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 your computer changes you know the, the application changes to to reflect that i mean it would have to be a virtual patch panel essentially but but it would be physical enough you know so you'd have physical inputs and like cables that you would move in and out, but I guess the labels would have to dynamically change, you know, so you'd look up there and you'd see, okay, there's my Firefox browser, and inside my Firefox browser, there's the the Jitsi, well, it's not Jitsi, Jitsi never has a problem for me personally. Uh, it, it's actually Google Meet specifically is, is the application that I run into problems with. So yeah, I'll, so there's that application, so I'll, I'll plug, I'll take my, the, the virtual cable out of the, out of the, the thing that says, um, you know, a headset microphone and plug it into this one because, because it's just sometimes you just need to see everything and you just want to have access to it. I'll bet there's a market for that. Some kind of hybrid kind of, you know, physical, but also, um, you know, also hooked into your computer to where you can just kind of, yeah, patch, patch cables. So you can really kind of visualize where sound is actually being routed and, and, and you can look and, oh, I see the red cable isn't plugged into my uh, video conferencing. Well, let me fix that. Okay, there we're done. Simple as that. Because otherwise, you're clicking around in your in your computer. You're clicking in your your system settings. You're clicking in the browser. You're clicking in the application running in the browser. You're just clicking everywhere, and you don't know what's set incorrectly. And then, of course, there's the problem of browser permission as well, and that's a whole other problem. So I don't know. I don't think it's a Linux audio problem. I think it's a uh, computer audio thing. I don't even know that it's a problem. It's just a thing that happens. Okay, now I really have said everything I could possibly say about audio on computers. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you next time.
Thanks for listening. My name is Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not Klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted. Until next time, thanks for listening and keep the source open. else here. Must have been the wind.